Tune in. Tune in. Tune in. It's the power of the game. It's the power of the game. It's the power of the game podcast by Golf Saudi. Hello and welcome to another episode of the podcast where today's special guest is 25-year-old Danish superstar Emily Pedersen. Emily has been on a roller coaster journey since turning pro back in 2015, a year that she ultimately ended up finishing as Ladies European Tour Rookie of the Year. She then suffered some setbacks, some adversity along the way, most notably in 2017. And from that point on, her road back to incredible form that she showed last year has made for a riveting story. She completed the Saudi sweep last year, the two events, the Saudi Ladies International and the Saudi Ladies Team Series that have subsequently become the Aramco Team Series in 2021. So she offers a very, very good perspective on what it's like to play in and compete in those events. We also talk about the mental side of the game, the challenges that that presents as a top, top athlete and loads more besides, including redemption at the 2021 Solheim Cup. Enjoy the episode. It's Emily Pedersen, Ladies European Tour Rookie of the Year in 2015 and Ladies European Tour Order of Merit winner in 2020. Thank you so much for joining us, first and foremost, on the on the Golf Saudi podcast. It's great to have you as uh, as someone who completed what they're calling the Saudi sweep last year. Yeah, it was it was great to be here and it feels really good to be back in uh, Jeddah or King Abdullah, the economy in- city. In the kingdom. Um, <laughs> yeah, in the kingdom. We've we've asked all of our guests, Emily, to to sort of recount how they got into the game, and and I know that um, well for most of them actually family has has played a big role, and and of course your dad was was the one that encouraged you to take up golf. What are your sort of early recollections of that? Well, honest, if I have to be honest, I played a lot of sports growing up, and my dad think I was really bad at them. So he was like, at some point, he was like, stop playing football. I'm gonna buy your membership for the local golf club and you're going to try that and then I did that and then I kind of fell in love with it and it was a great move from his part but I don't think that was actually his intention he was just he was just tired of watching me (laughs) being benched I think (laughs) and was it an obsession for you because you were you were 10 years of age I think when you took it up which I guess you know in the grand scheme of things for your peers and all the guys that you play against on tour, probably quite a late start, 10 years of age. Uh, yeah, I think so. I think a lot of people started earlier. And when I speak to some of the juniors around now, they're a lot younger than I was. So so maybe I was a bit late. Um, I just picked it up and I fell in love. And I think when I was 12, I was uh, on the Danish national team. Uh, so I played for Denmark, and which was quite early as well. So everything went kind of quick once I started because I think I just fell in love with the game and I just always wanted to get better a lot. And um, yeah. So, so when you first took it up, you were pretty much down on the golf club every single day because two years is a short space of time to go from first picking up a golf club to being on a national team. That's, that's an incredible, that's an incredible sort of uh, short amount of time to, to achieve that, that level of, of play. Uh, yeah, so it, it went really quickly. But um, so when I was 10, I probably would have been in like fourth or fifth grade. And then after you go to school in Denmark, you have this kind of like it's not a kindergarten, but it's like where you can hang out until your parents get old and um, get off work. And then I didn't really want to go there. I just wanted to go to the golf course. So every day after school, instead of walking to to this um, free time space or whatever after school, I walked to the golf course and I was just there until 
my parents was able to come and get me. And then there was a lot of juniors and a lot of guys, mostly guys and a few girls as well. And um, we just had such so much fun. And it was just it came kind of my free space after school. And then I just I think that's why I just practiced so so much. And then I think when I was 11, I was like, I need I want more like and then there was this Danish uh, junior golf academy. And I wanted to practice there because it was a little bit more structured practice than at the local golf club where it was like one a week, one one time a week where we met up all the juniors. Um, so I started practicing there, and then a year later, they called from the national team. And your your dad must have been like, "Phew, we found something now. We're onto something." <laughs> I know. I think he's relieved, but I didn't think he like the flip side was that now he had to travel a lot with me and. It got a little bit more expensive than just him and I playing on the weekends, I think. <laughs> yeah, because, of course, you know, your parents are, are investing in you at that stage. And obviously they're seeing your potential and they're supporting you. I know you referenced when you won recently last year that the support that your dad has always given you throughout your career. Um, they make a lot of sacrifices, right? And, and I would imagine that, you know, when, when we talk about a new market like Saudi trying to grow the game at the grassroots level, the, the sort of... In, the impact of the parents and the sort of involvement of the parents is crucial to kind of instill that ability for kids to sort of, you know, try and realize their potential, isn't it? Yeah. I know my parents, they've both always been great. It's like, they've never told me I couldn't do anything. So obviously golf is, is quite an expensive sport. And uh, as a 12 year old, you don't, it's not like you can go out and get a job and make your own money or whatever. So obviously your parents would need to sacrifice both time, but also a bit of economy. Um, so I think that's great. And they've never, ever told me that I couldn't do anything. Like they've never put any, like, comp- like, like there's never been any compromises for me. And I think I've kind of brought that onto my professional career. It's like, uh, there's no compromises for me in what I am willing to do or, or willing to, to kind of, sacrifice myself from from what I've learned from my parents yeah I mean you you had a tremendous success early on in your career you you obviously you mentioned there 12 years old you're in the Danish national team turning pro at 18 let rookie of the year um and then obviously last year you 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 fought back from a from a period where you had been struggling to have yet more success probably the best year you've ever had in in 2020 how how different are you, Emily, now as a, as a professional golfer to the one that turned pro back in 2015? Um, I'm, I think I feel like I've matured a lot. Um, when I turned pro, I, I was 18 years old and my career's only gone up. It was like I'd never really had a bad patch. And I thought, well, golf is easy in a way. It's like it's just always you just adding on steps. And then in end of 2017 was the first time I really struggled and I don't think maybe I don't think I was mature enough to handle that or it was so new to me that I kind of because I started so young I felt like I built up my identity a little bit upon being this great golfer and oh Emily she's good golf Emily wins tournaments and stuff like that and then when I didn't I kind of couldn't figure out who I was so it took a, a bit of a like maturing and growing both as a golfer but also as a person to figure out that the two things are separate because if I had a bad day on the golf course, I would feel like I was a bad person and it would just, it just, it's just tore me down really for two years. 
Yeah, I mean, obviously, when you're on that steep upward trajectory and you keep winning as an amateur and then you turn pro and then things come, as you say, quite relatively easy to you as a pro, we know how competitive golf is. And, and I guess as the years go by, we learn how fickle form is as well and how difficult that is to kind of maintain if you're doing well or, or recapture if you're if you're struggling. And, and uh when you when you sort of had your first struggles in 2017, um, do you know what brought those about? Have you sort of reflected on on why they occurred? Uh, yeah, I think because well, everyone's going to go through a struggle at some time, but I think mine became such a big struggle because I didn't know how to handle it. Like I couldn't separate what was being Emily and what was being a golfer, um, so I kind of needed to learn to be happy without golf a little bit, and then for me to, to grow in, on the golf course as well and separate the two things, which I think was massive for me in getting back because it affected the way I could practice. Like I was rested better because I could let go of golf whenever I was off and it didn't emotionally affect me as much as it did. Like I was, everything was controlled by golf and I, it had to kind of flip around so that I was controlling what was happening and golf wasn't controlling me, if that makes sense. Right. So golf was, or at least the results you were having or the way you were playing was almost in charge of the way you were feeling as well. Yeah, exactly. So if I played bad, I was just miserable. Like I was, I didn't want to do anything. I didn't want to be around people. If I played good, I was on this like high thing. Um, so it was kind of like a drug to me. <laughs> you feel like it was, uh, Yeah. everything was controlled by however I performed or how I played. So it was a really unhealthy relationship with golf I had then uh, and I had to learn to to be in charge more and being not so much emotionally controlled I mean saying that that doesn't mean that I don't get affected by golf anymore because of course I do and of course I still want to perform and when you're in a bit of a struggle it's it's tough and you you get hurt in a way but it's just it's on another level now it's more like professionally and I don't question who I am or my own worth because of golf. Yeah, I was actually, it reminds me of in another sport, Naomi Osaka, uh, the, the, the former tennis world number one, saying that when she lost, she was unhappy or upset or miserable. And when she won, she was just relieved. And obviously it's very different because in tennis, you win a lot more often than you do in golf. You know, it's, uh, it's very difficult to win a golf tournament. But um, I would imagine you can empathize with that because... I suppose the pressure just continues to ramp up and up and up. And it's very difficult when you're in a rut to get away from that. Yeah, I, I really can get what she feels like. I think, I think it was Brooks Kupka that said it really well once, that if, you, if you're doing your professional career, you win 5% of the events, you're a Hall of Famer, which says a lot about how many losses you actually have in golf. You know, it's 5% uh, is not a lot, and it can be hard to explain to other sports, but... Uh, Definitely. I, I understand how she feels and the better you get and the better you play, the more pressure that comes upon you from outside sources, the more attention there is. And obviously you need to learn to, to be able to live in that spotlight. And I think uh, if you've done so well, obviously rookie of the year and, and stuff like that, and then qualifying for the Solheim, there was a lot of attention on me and I didn't quite, I didn't quite know to handle that either. So I think, Right. I think it can be difficult, but obviously 
because I think you just have to remember that if there's a lot of attention on you and press, it's because you're doing well. And it's, it's a part of it. It's a part that if you do something extraordinary or if you help write history in a way, then people want to know, people want to be. And I think you have to learn to kind of live with that in a way. The Solheim Cup in 2017, the scrutiny, I suppose the size of that event, and, and it's become such a mega event now, it's, it's, it's incredible. Um, and it's really driving the growth of, of women's golf. But when you're not on your game, and, and male players have talked about this in the Ryder Cup as well, it's, it's an incredibly intense atmosphere to, to be struggling in. And I suppose that, that would have probably been a catalyst for you to kind of maybe, uh, you know, realize that you, you weren't quite in the right place that you wanted to be in. And, and that must have been difficult, performing in front of massive crowds with a huge sort of spotlight on you. Absolutely. I mean, the, the Solheim Cup is only 24 players. It's only 12 matches in the singles, but otherwise it's only four matches uh, per day or eight matches a day, which means you can't hide. Like if you play a normal golf event, you just won't be shown on TV and you just deal with yourself wherever you are at the leaderboard, but you can't hide at a Solheim Cup. It's like everyone watches you. Everyone's following everyone can see all the faults you're making and it's just it was a lot for me I don't I personally looking back at it I probably wasn't ready to play a Solheim Cup I wasn't ready to to handle that kind of pressure I wasn't I was never expecting people to say bad things you know like I got the captain's pick and I had some question that like people were questioning it people were publicly saying I didn't deserve it and I'd never seen that before. I've only ever seen congratulations and all that. And it might have been a little bit naive from my part because obviously people are going to have an opinion about you, but I was just not ready to handle bad opinions and and just the, the whole pressure of that. I don't think I was. Uh, and what's the solution to dealing with that? Is it a case of blocking out, out external noise? Because ultimately, you know, you can't stop anyone else saying stuff that have an opinion or whether it, whether you agree with it or not. There's always going to be that noise. Or is it a case of just making your own peace with what you know inside is what you need to do? Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard, you know. It's, it, I think it's something we'll always deal with because we're humans as well. Um but I've watched this really, really great TED Talk by Brene Brown, which she talks about um, kind of showing up and whose opinion matters. And I've learned a lot. It, it just, I think you need to figure out with yourself whose opinion matter because you can't, you can't make everyone like you or if someone will always have a bad opinion about you. And I think the better you get, the more people is going to have a bad opinion about you. But she's saying in this that, unless you show up yourself, unless you do what I do, unless you put yourself out there, uh, unless you work every single week to be out on the golf course, your opinion doesn't matter. And if you, if I don't love you or you don't love me, then your opinion doesn't matter. And I think mm. being kind of selective in whose opinion matters is for me, what is definitely helping me get through when people have something bad to say. Yeah, absolutely. Agree with that. And also uh, the kind of the media fixation and, and the public fixation on results. You know, I, I've, I've spoken to a lot of golfers and whenever I speak to them, it's not about the results. It's about, they always mention the process of, you know, what do I need to do? The results will look after themselves if I do X, Y, and Z correctly. Um, 
that's that's difficult to sort of I would imagine for you as a professional athlete, particularly in golf, uh, because it is such a sort of you look in the mirror and that was what you shot that day, and you know it's uh, it's a very exacting sport in that sense. Uh, is that something you've you've learned to sort of do more of or, or get more kind of in tune with? Yeah, I mean, the I think golf and definitely the sporting world is very black and white. It's either you win or you lose, or you do good or you don't do good. Um, but I think a part of golf is is figuring out other ways to enjoy or to grow the game, like to have little goals yourself that you can only measure towards yourself because at the end of the day, you can't control how other people's people are playing. And we've been like in the team around me, we're really trying to kind of break down the rounds like, okay, can you gain a little bit more in the putting? Can you hit some more fairways? Can you kind of develop like whatever we're working on to become the best in the world? Can you take like, can you improve 1% every day or can you improve 1% over a, um, a tournament? And I think you have to take that little wins because as I said earlier from, from the quote from Brooks Kipkers, if you only win 5%, then you're a Hall of Famer, which means if you win 1%, there's also 99% of the time where you don't win, which means those 99%, you need to find something else to to keep you motivated or to help you grow as a golfer, because if you just let that knock you down, it's just, it's not going to be very fun. Last year's lockdown was a chance for a lot of people to look back, introspect, reflect on things. And and I know you've mentioned in previous interviews that it was an important time for you because obviously something for you clicked during that time and you played, you came out and, and, uh, and then for the remainder of 2020, you, you played such incredible golf. So can you kind of talk to us about what it was that sort of you, you kind of came to the realization of during that period? Oh, there's, there's a few things. Um, one of them was that I got to work on improving as a golfer without having the spotlight on me. I really had yeah. three months to just work on getting better without being confronted with a result, which I think was really healthy for me to just being able to really grind and to really go deep in some of the things I needed to improve in my game. And then actually being able to miss golf. Like we have such tight schedules normally that we just, it just goes on and on and on. And um, for the first time in a very long time, I really, really miss playing because obviously I came off two really rough years and, and it wasn't a lot of fun. Um, But I think it was really healthy for me to, to miss playing golf again. Um, and then also actually I, <laughs> well, we didn't know um, when we were going to play. So I applied for a job. I'd never had a job in the world. So I worked at this restaurant and uh, You're this, kidding. I know this is funny and no offense. I was just going to say no offense to people who work in a restaurant, but I got there and my first shift was this 18 year old birthday that I had to, to wait. So it, we, we sat down and it was like, fine when everyone was dinner but then obviously at midnight this turned into kind of a, there came a DJ on and everyone was dancing and drinking and I was like waitressing and then for some reason we served these drinks in, in actual glasses so these young girls were smashing the glasses everywhere on the dance floor and I had to be on my knees to like kind of get up these glasses and I was like this cannot be my life and then I had did two other shifts and then 
we went to the Scottish Open and I was in a playoff and I was like, this is my calling. I need to yeah. do this, which is quite funny. <laughs> I know <laughs> my life is not that bad. <laughs> yeah. Professional golf's really not that bad. So wait no. a minute. Let, let me just get this straight. E- e- Emily Pedersen's secret to winning three consecutive events on the ladies European tour was a waitressing shift. I know. <laughs> and I was like, it was, it was good for me to learn. Okay. Cause she can also think all the time that, it's so hard as a golfer and our life is so difficult but it really taught me that no it's actually it's actually a really really great job and it made me appreciative of being able to do that as well so a few a few good lessons from that no I, no, I agree and I think for everyone it was a time where you know I listened to a lot of podcasts and a lot of people who you know we're talking about like practicing gratitude that's become a sort of big kind of thing in the sort of meditative space you know to be just grateful that you know you get to wake up in the morning and do what you enjoy doing if you set your bar low you're much less likely to be frustrated and disappointed with outcomes yeah definitely you know um you you won in uh in 2020 for the first time in 5 years uh the check the tip sort check open was that sweeter, Emily, than than your win at the Hero India Open five years prior? Yeah, I think so. Because because uh, I'd been I'd overcome a lot of struggles, and when I was a rookie, I didn't doubt that I was going to win. But uh, obviously, in the two two years that I really struggled, I was doubting: Am I ever going to lift a trophy again? And then to kind of overcome that was was big, and it was yeah, it was it was bigger than the first time. Was it more stressful? Than the first time um it actually wasn't that stressful because i i had my coach with me and we were so good at just staying in the process and he kept me really calm um obviously i got a little nervous at the end but um sure. I, I played some of the best golf i did last year that week i shot seven under nine under i think and i was in a great place i was obviously confident that i could could pull it off yeah, and and obviously that gave you incredible confidence for the remainder of the season. Now you, you came up to Saudi Arabia for the two tournaments last year, and evidently you were, you were in the zone um, for the, yeah. those two weeks. What, what does that feel like? Can you kind of reveal to us, to us mere mortals who struggle to break eighty on a weekend, what does being in that zone feel like? I mean, it feels good. It's like you're in complete flow of what you're doing it's like complete control and then when you feel like you know your game like I knew where my missus was I knew how to handle bad and then when you can mix that with a little bit of confidence and then also I think it depends I really love it here at Royal Greens it's just amazing my caddy and I were playing nine holes yesterday and I just had so many good memories I was telling them I was there and I got up and down from there and and it's just great. And I felt that way as soon as I got here last year that I really like this place. I think the golf course suits me really well, which also gave me a bit of confidence coming in because I knew I was I was playing well. But then when you see a golf course and you learn like and you feel like this suits me really well, it kind of just boosted that confidence even more. And when you talk about shots that can change the course of an entire year, um, the one you hit into 18 to get to get into the playoff against Georgia. Uh, was obviously a standout moment for you where you were able to execute under pressure from what was it like 200 yards or a shot into the par five that was something that was put you under pressure and you you pulled it off yeah obviously I think uh, that shot into 18 is one of the best I've ever hit just because well because I I knew I had to 
to birdie at least. Um, but also because I was, wasn't afraid to risk it all. And I've not been in a position, I've been in a position for, for a few years where I was just trying to get the best finish I could. But at that time, I was ready to risk finishing fifth or finishing 10th instead of securing a second, um, which was good. And then obviously the fact that I pulled it off, just it was just unbelievable. And it's definitely my favorite shot of ever, and I you, think. <laughs> wow, I'm, I'm not surprised. And, and you went straight into the, 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 the team event, obviously the Saudi Ladies Team International, which has now become the Aramco, Aramco Team Series and you were able to get the victory in that. Uh, talk to us about the format for that one, because obviously it's something a little bit different. I guess for, for all the players, it was a new experience as well, but you seem to take to it like a duck to water. Uh, yeah, it was great. It was actually, it was a little bit weird because they were quite close and obviously playing the final round and winning, I was so pumped. The adrenaline was so high on that Sunday. And then it takes a it takes a bit out of you winning and we started on that tuesday and i was so tired so i was hitting a club shorter than i did but i think the i think the aramco team series is great i think it's a good change to our normal normal stuff it was really good to actually go straight from an individual one and then to a team event i think it's good that you kind of bring the aspects of of golf is like that everyone can play together any age any gender any any handicap. And I think the Aramco team series really brings out that part of golf. I know you've got to go soon, Emily. So we are going to wrap up soon, but I can't let you go without asking you about another team event. And, and the 2021 Solheim cup, it, to me, when I look at the results, you had the fact you beat Danielle again in the singles, it looks like a sort of redemptive uh, kind of week for you. Like I won't say revenge, but you know, how, how do you feel about it? Like, it was oh. was it redemption on some level? Yeah, definitely. I feel that way as well. It was like kind of a I knew I was obviously in a better place from the season I had in 2020, but it was I felt like I still kind of wanted to prove to myself or to me that I could handle that kind of pressure of a Solheim Cup. And um because it's the 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 bad period started just after the Solheim, it was kind of good to to tell myself that you can also do this now. And how good was it to be part of a winning team over there in the US oh, it was, with every single member of the crowd against you? It was incredible. There was nothing, nothing better than making the crowds quiet. It almost feels better than hearing them cheering for you, but it was unbelievable. Obviously, we missed all the European fans, but I think as a team, it kind of brought us together that we knew everyone was going to be against you. So every, like our little bubble of the 30, 40 people that was the only ones cheering for us, like with the boyfriends and, and staff and everything, I think it made the whole group just grow together. And I think that made us a lot stronger. Last one for you, Emily, your aspirations for obviously this, this little run of events in Saudi Arabia, and then looking to 2022 and, and, and what are you kind of targeting for your career moving forward? Uh, obviously I'm, I'm going to try and defend the title this week and next week. Um, and then I'm going to go to Q school and hopefully I'll get my LPJ status for next year. And then I'll go on to win there and win some ages and hopefully be number one on that world ranking at some point. Fantastic. Emily, listen, re really appreciate you taking the time to chat to us. It was great talking to you and really uh, looking so. forward to following your progress this week. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Emily. Cheers. Thank you. Good luck this week. Yeah. Thank you. Bye.